Welcome to Love Maps, your guide to love, sex and relationships. I'm your host, Joe Nickel. I'm a psychotherapist and relationship coach. For 25 years, I've been working with couples and individuals, and I know firsthand that many people are not having the sex and love life they want. So I decided to make this podcast to give people the tools they need to get the relationships they long for with more passion, intimacy and connection. So what is a love map? A love map is the blueprint for our relationships which we developed in the early stages of our life. There's a saying, show me how you are loved and I will show you how you love. Our culture shows us how to fall in love, but I want to show you how to stay in love. Each episode, I'll be hanging out on my sofa with an invited guest who has a particular interest or expertise in love and sex. And together we'll explore a specific topic so that you can take away tools and new ideas that I hope will transform your relationships. Today we're going to be talking with Caroline Burr. She's a relationship therapist and psychotherapist. And we're going to be discussing why we fight the person we love, why it feels so dangerous, and you're going to be learning how to repair those situations. Also with me on Love Maps is my regular sofa buddy and editor, Richard Cotton, who is as passionate as I am about improving our relationships. Hey, Richard. Joe. Hey, today we're talking about fighting, which I think is something that most of us have experienced in our relationships. Yeah, I have. Yep, I have too. And I think I learned how to fight. I know I learned how to fight at home with my siblings. I learned how to fight by watching my parents when they tried not to fight, when they did fight. So fighting, I think, has a lot of meaning for me around watching my parents. Yeah, I think for me as well, just hearing you say that about not fighting, I think I've also learned how to avoid conflict and therefore avoid really talking about stuff, Yeah, actually. I I mean, I have had fights. I'd hate it. I don't want to do it anymore, which is why we're talking about it. We want to unravel it, right? Sort it out. Yeah, we can um, go... If you're avoidant, you can go too quickly into the repairing and wanting to make it better rather than dealing with issues for fear of it going into a place that is out of control. Exactly. So how do we create a space in which we can do that productively, progressively uh, and safely, right? Exactly. And it's learning how, what are our triggers, what are our patterns when we go into fighting and how do we step out of them and how do we repair? Because all relationships will have times of disharmony yeah. and it's about how we bring it back yeah. into harmony is really important. So on today's podcast, we've got as a guest, Caroline Burr. She's a relationship coach of 14 years and she's been empowering couples and individuals towards a healthier and happier relationship. She has her own webinar which you can find out about from her website, yourrelationshipcoach.co.uk. Welcome, Caro. Tell me, why did you get into this um, work in the first place? I was uh, in the early stages of my relationship with my husband and I'd been coaching and the theme that kept coming up was relationships. I was struggling, my clients were struggling 
So I decided it was time to go and find out how I was going to be able to maintain a relationship that I wanted. I wanted children. I wanted to be in a long-term relationship, but I really didn't know how. So my search started from my own, my own challenges. And I look back and I don't know how I would have um, got to where I am with my husband without some of the understanding that I gained through my training and along the way. And what did you learn? I mean, what was the thing that surprised you most that you wished you'd known? I think, I think the biggest thing I gained was knowing that it was normal to struggle. Yeah. That it was normal and that there wasn't... That actually being messy in relationship is the only way, that you can't do a neat, perfect well, textbook relationship. Yeah. It doesn't work like that. So to not be scared of the mess and to know that... In that exploration, if you if you show up and and stay there and find what what that next step is, then gradually it gets easier. And I think it's that those small changes of what what do I need in order to stay in the relationship now, um, and to not be destructive within it. It's so easy to turn it either outwards on our partner or inwards on ourselves, and that's at the heart of what we're talking about today. It is at the heart. And I think that what I realised through my work with couples is that they don't know what that first step is. Mm. You know, they're, so, they're in the struggle and they come to us so stuck in it and so helpless. And they don't understand why they're feeling this pain, this hurt, this anger. And I think that that step that you're talking about is something that we as therapists and relationship therapists have to give them because I don't think anybody else has. I don't know about you. Were you given any tools by your parents? Mm, no, I, I, I think mostly I just saw how to, how to survive in relationship rather than thrive. And okay. in terms of two people being able to express themselves be fully themselves alongside each other that's something I still think you know is quite rare to see in its fullness um, very rare yeah I agree. and yet every step we take for me is about being able to um, be fully adult in the relationship and show up with all of myself we bring this child part of ourselves into the relationship which is the part that didn't get its needs met, fought to get its needs met, adapted to an environment where it wasn't necessarily easy. And when we bring those parts so energetically into our adult relationships, and they seem to be sort of running the show, because as you and I know, with clients, with couples, and in our own personal life, and I think you too, Richard... Well, yeah. There's a I lot. Mean, I, I'm loath to interrupt, actually, because I'm just like, this is fantastic uh, for me as someone who's not a professional in this world, yeah. just to see two people who really know what they're talking about actually having an amazing dialogue about it. So I'm like, I don't really need to speak for a minute. I'm just going to wait. But okay, well, it's, I, I, it's well, really wonderful. I just wanted to evoke something of the inner child mm. that is so active in our interpersonal relationships, and particularly when we are in love mm. and how because that's where we feel are most vulnerable 
our most endangered and are therefore our most aggressive. Because when we're endangered, we're going to be defending. And that's when our natural aggression as a human being is evoked. And we get into our stance. Mm. <laughs> you know that one? Oh, yes. The stance, yeah. the dance. <laughs> and I think, I think it's interesting in depending on what, whether in childhood it was safe to um, express yourself and, and join in, yeah. or if you had to survive by not showing anything, has a big impact on what that, what that dance can look like yeah. in your relationship. What do you see? What kind of stance dances do you see that couples go into where they're avoiding intimacy? Mm. They're avoiding that adult, mature connectedness, loving connectedness, because they're in the grip of this very vulnerable and childlike state. How do you see that mostly playing out? Well, there's there's, um, a couple that come to mind um, where they both grew up were unable to express themselves because there was not the space for the wife. Her She was shut down if she tried to bring her feelings or express who she was. For the husband, he was criticised and, again, not heard, but more even more than that, told he was wrong. And so you've got... You, if you think about the children within them, they really they really didn't get a chance to know who they were or test out this is me and to receive positive feedback for that. So when they come into relationship with each other, the woman is expecting to be shut down and the man is expecting to be criticised because that's still running. Uh, And what it looks like is avoiding anything where they have a difference of opinion or thought and also where they have feelings. So they avoid talking about feelings. And because they, for them, it's, I, I think it's a, a, almost that they won't exist, that, that it's, it's not allowed. It is so not allowed that the message they got is to feel is, uh, you know, is a threat to yourself. Well, to, to be fun, in other words, talk about your feelings. You're, you're opening yourself up to being even more vulnerable to the other. Yes. Yes. And that isn't safe because the most of us, I think, grew up in families where parents didn't talk about emotional stuff. We weren't listened to. And, and, and where and where emotion, showing emotion was uh, uh, seen as a weakness. Yes, yeah. certainly um, for men. Men have been socialised to well, not talk about their feelings, you know. For real. These are long-term historical patterns, aren't they, that mm. we have to make a conscious choice to break, right? I mean, we're carrying, we carry everything from our, <clears throat> from our fathers, our mothers. Transgenerations. <clears throat> who carried everything from their parents, who carried everything from their parents. And what we're talking about is really quite profound because it's, and, and it's a social change, really. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a deep, widespread social change that needs to happen through individual decisions to make, to put a stop to, to carrying those, those dysfunctional um, ideas or notions, uh, habits. You're absolutely right. And it's interesting, we talk more about feelings and emotions now and we have emotional intelligence and yet in couples, because the pattern has been set in childhood, it's almost like it can just be at a head level where people go, yes, I know I should talk about my feelings or I now, now, now know it's okay to talk about my feelings, but actually doing it 
is another step yeah. again. So for me, um, I'm thinking of this particular couple where there is so much avoidance of going there. So it, it's quite a passive, you know, we talk about fighting, it can be very active, it can be shouting and lashing out, but in it, it's often a very passive thing, where it's mm. the, the comment or the... Passive aggression the, is just like Yeah, the so back turned or walking yeah. out of the room. Um, so there's that piece of how do they break the habit of, of, of protecting themselves, mm. but also expressing themselves um, and sort of attacking before they've even, uh, you know, before they've even actually started yeah. talking. Yeah. What I do with couples is, first of all, I get them to see the stance they're in. So, yeah. so this is what you do. So one of you withdraws or one of you shouts or one of you uh, cries one of you sulks. You all have your own stuff. Everyone has their own stance of defending their vulnerability. And we all learned it in childhood. Yes. So I always go, where did you learn that? And obviously it worked for them. That was an incredibly beautiful adaption to being threatened and frightened and vulnerable as children. It's just understanding that in an adult relationship, it doesn't work. Yeah. And how to invite them into a more adult state by having them understand and have compassion for those triggered, vulnerable, childlike parts that cannot be in the driving seat of any relationship. But when they're in the triggered state and those little children are in the driving seat, there has to be an adult present. And when we, we all know we have an adult part of our brain, that prefrontal cortex is available to us. It's trying to sort of get it activated and give them the, the clients and us the tools to access it and remove the children, yeah. our inner children, from the driving seat. Compassion is the key. Compassion. Well, understanding it. Compassion yeah. for the other and compassion for ourselves. Mm. Because I think, um, you know, for example, from a Buddhist perspective, they might say, well, we've got to look within, really. We have to, look, we have to begin with our own life condition because all we really have control over is our response to our environment and people are part of our environment. The people with whom we are in relationship are part of that. And so we can't control other people's behaviour, habits, their learned behaviour, the childhood trauma that they've experienced that they're now holding within them physically, because it's a physical thing, isn't it? Mm. Um, but we can control our own response. How do we do that? Uh, I mean, I think I've, I sort of feel like I've got better at it. Mm. But I remember, you know, feeling uh, as a younger man, I thought, well, I'm, you know, I'm a nice guy, you know, I'm, you know, I'm, I, I, wh why wouldn't, why would I get into these situations? Why would I be, get into argumentative situations? And, you know, I mean, there's no reason for it. We're all cool here, aren't we? And, you know, we're, but so much is deep, you know, and, um, and I think if we're not, if we don't change the way that we address those, um, those held, those that trauma that's held in our body, then um, we point the finger, don't we? And I think mm. we can we can still see other people's behaviour without um, without blaming. Mm. Um, and it's interesting because again, I come back to I I think it's really important. I don't know, Joe. I imagine you do the same in your work that if we experience that in a sort of in our bodies and at a more experiential level, then that allows us to have more flexibility for change. Rather than doing the same old, you know, he says this, she says that, and it's the same old story, 
when we're working with with individuals and couples, we're actually helping them to take a step back and see it differently. And so we're breaking that habit in the room or in the work we're doing. With the reactive Habit. Yeah, giving them a chance to sort of notice the reaction. The whoosh. I, always yeah. call, I call it the whoosh yeah. when you can physically feel something like yeah. whoosh and up it comes. Yeah. And I go into a kind of like, I, uh, what I ask them to do is when they notice it, they notice that physical tra- the tightness in the chest, the stomach's going, the yeah. heart's racing. You can feel there's something in the, f- the fear, the flight and fight. The automatic nervous system is activated You know, it could be that your husband's or your partner's or somebody's come home late, somebody slammed a door, somebody said no when you wanted to hear yes. You can feel it happening. And in that moment of whoosh, you have a choice right there and then. You Either that child who's been, either that part that's been triggered is just going to come out and go into the rage, the hurt, the blame, the retaliatory behaviour, Or it's going to take a deep breath and it's going to say, ouch, or, ooh, that was, that was quite hard for me. Or I noticed that when you, when you name it, when you name the state, immediately it seems to kind of calm it down. It's like when you say to a child, how are you feeling? I'm hurt. Okay, tell me about it. It's if they're not listened to, if that part of you is not listened to, because it's not that it's going to go away. It just it needs to be kind of attended to, named, and then it kind of soothes it. That's what I find is like if you could, I call it, let's do a status report. Instead of waking up in the morning feeling like shit and grumpy and sort of stomping and growling, (laughs) being horrible to your partner. You just wake up and say, you know what, I'm grumpy. It's like, okay, all right then, so cool, you know. And then you don't act it out. Because yeah. sometimes when we get into that state, we forget who we're talking to. Mm. We are talking to somebody we love deeply and we want to spend the rest of our lives with. Why would we talk to them in this ugly, rude, aggressive, grumpy, childlike way. Because it has very little to do with them, probably. It has nothing mm. to do with them. They just, they, right. they can evoke it. So it comes back to knowing ourselves, doesn't it, again? It, yeah, recognising that they will evoke it in us simply yes. by the fact that we love them and we're that close to them. And recognising that person will evoke feelings in you, but you are responsible for how you respond. And it's like, respond don't react. Yes. <laughs> Try and get to that place. It takes a few breaths, eh? Well, and I, I think it's something, like most things in life, it takes practice. Practice. We think, we think that we should be instantly good at relationship because when we're in love, it's all wonderful and it all, it's easy. So we think no. that should be relationship. <laughs> but I, I, you know, both my husband and I spent years practicing exactly that. Stopping. Practice. Or recovering, because I think we're human and and the reality is, you know, um, whether we've had a rough week or rough day, we will will not always catch that reaction Mm. from child. Mm. And just knowing that it's okay after that to go, actually, I'm sorry. And that is, I think that's the other piece here is as soon as we're able to name it or apologise afterwards and go... I kick that off. 
Um, and it can be at any point in an argument. We can't, you know, it doesn't have to be before the argument starts. It can be any point during tension between a couple that somebody says, one person just has to say, I notice I want to do this. Um, and I know that's just what I always do and it's not going to help. Just just stepping back. If one person can do that at any point in the process, then and practicing that, and then it becomes you almost have your in jokes when you get used to practicing this, because is it me or is it you? You know, it can become a much lighter thing, and that humour and lightness really helps to diffuse oh, the that. anger. Yeah, you're absolutely I love right. The way you just I think it. having safe words as well, where you just have you know when you get to a point where you know you're in it. You know you're in the grip, Mm. both of you. Mm. You're in the grip and you're both going for it. Uh, Either one of you do the sort of T for time out. Mm. And that's useful because you do it sort of like you take your 20 minutes and you understand and you do it. Or you have a safe word, Mm. which could be hysterically funny as in an agreed (laughs) safe word. (laughs) But you're absolutely right. It's having the skills to know when you're both in the grip. Yeah. And even just saying we're in the grip. Yeah. And do you know, my whole body goes when you say it. And I think the hardest time, um, I mean, the divorce statistics, it's in the first 10 years yeah. um, that 50% of the people who are going to, you know, divorce, divorce. And it's because early on, you haven't learned that recovery. You don't know you're going to be okay. So that threat of if I do something different, I you know, I'm at that cliff, this relationship could end. It's the, it's that, that, ha, that gags people, that has people, that's the unspoken that ends relationships. And it's that if I say that I could end the relationship, but actually if you don't say it, you're increasing the chance of mm. ending the relationship because at some mm. point all those not unspoken bits build up. Oh God, the resentment, oh. the unspoken resentment is something yeah. that women do very well. Yes. I mean, men are usually happy if I have noticed or I felt that a lot of men seem to be, well, if she's happy, I'm happy. Mm-hmm. If only, you know, if only she, you know, what do I need to do? But I've, That's fine. But if that comes from the boy pleasing yeah, the, it the it mummy, that's... From the boy. It doesn't work. That, that <laughs> doesn't that work. doesn't work long term, but, but it's, yeah. But we do, I mean, women, I think, historically have held, you know, righteous indignation and resentment it's just, you know, almost in the system of being a, a, a woman. Thanks for listening to Love Maps. Stay tuned for the second half of our podcast with Caroline Burr. You can find more information and support on our website, lovemapspodcast.com and follow Love Maps Podcast on Instagram. One of the turning points for me in my relationship with my husband was when I realised that I was being emotional. I wasn't actually naming how I was feeling. And that was a really manipulative, you know, collapse, tears, you know, oh, you know, you don't understand. And almost I was the emotionally literate one who knew how to do relationship. And he was there going, oh, she's crying again. They're overwhelmed. They don't know how to respond to this. It it reminds them probably of a very emotional hurt mother where they need to be quiet to protect the mother. There's a lot of that where men get to shut themselves down in order to protect the very emotional hurt woman because there's a lot of that in our backstories of women who didn't express themselves 
to their husbands, but did it to their children. Mm-hmm. But what you're saying is very interesting because it's that you see that polarization so much. Mm. And I think that Rich, what Richard was saying earlier about men really needing to step out of the patriarchy, step out of the um, construct that they can't really respect their own inner emotional states. They don't have a voice for their own inner emotional states. And and the flip in that, I think, is for women to realise when they're being emotional rather than actually being in touch yeah. with their feelings. Yes, because I, true. I, you know, I say it was a turning point for our relationship because I went, I'm really sorry. I don't know how to do this thing called relationship either. Mm. And suddenly... I didn't have the upper hand because I'd used my emotions before that at some level to have an upper hand. And, you know, my husband would go kind of one down and go, huh? And it, and actually there was no place to go from that. Mm, mm. Um, you know, we... So where do you go from that? Where, what did you learn about that stance yes. of yours? Well, I started to learn as a woman that actually to say I feel angry because of x and to own my feelings and not to be scared and it took me a long time with anger because I'd grown up in a household where anger really wasn't allowed Mm. it was a very dangerous thing Mm. so I didn't learn that anger is a healthy normal emotion that tells us what we do and don't need and there's that bit of um in in a place where when we are, um, I mean, I'd grown up in an environment where being right was the key. So if you had information and you had knowledge and you were right, well, that was, that, that was, that was the most important thing. That was the currency in our household and also in the environment and the schooling I was in. So that's what I applied in my relationship. You know? it's, it's a beautiful. I lose. was right. It's a lose, and it's one of the one of the most interesting losing strategies in any relationship. Yeah. I I often I often say to um, my couples, you know, do you want to be right or do you want to be married? Exactly. Because you can't be both. Mm-hmm. No. And it is a lose-lose. Mm. And to realise, to really wake up to that is quite hard mm. because yeah. you, 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 it's, um, it's a grandiose power. It's a kind, it's a, it has a power to it being right. It feels good, doesn't it, when we yeah. go, I'm right. Being grandiose is fabulous. Yeah, but it does, <laughs> it leaves you alone. Mm. You, you are alone with it. And actually, so to yeah. really call yourself on it and to go, oh, um, and I still find that hard. You know, I've been married six, nearly 16 years and I still find that moment where I want to be right. I want, you know, and I do know the right way to load the dishwasher. <laughs> well, it, it, but the, um, of course, what we know, the effect on, on our partners when we go into that stance of grandiose righteousness is that we're shaming the other. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's the shame that we carry, that we dump on them. We kind of use this stance of I'm right, I'm better, I know, to conceal our own feelings of vulnerability, which we then pass on to our partners. And this is part Mm. of this very toxic power and vulnerability stance that we get into when we feel ashamed and vulnerable, I think. And when we recognise it. And we can move, we can take that part of ourselves, that childlike part, with really deep compassion and understanding of the adaptions we made to our childhood environment. Then we have much more love and compassion for our partners. Mm. And really, I think it's important to do that curious and loving investigation 
into our partner's story so that we get to understand when they get triggered and they we can see that part of them getting triggered because we you know the, the relationship will evoke it that we are when they say I need time out or I'm feeling grumpy or that part of me is feeling really mm. wobbly now I think that we move into a place of deep prepare in the relationship and for ourselves as human beings so it transforms the connection that we have because immediately we move into a more adult state because we know that the child part, the hurt, the vulnerable, righteous, shamed, is being attended to. And I, I, I totally agree. And I think the important part is that we also attend to our shame and our yes. vulnerability because yes, totally. actually we can really struggle to be over and see our partners if we haven't addressed our own there's that holding who who is what is the individual piece and what is then the relational piece and sometimes for couples when they come to see us and I'm sure this is true for you Joe, actually if they have a lot of individual um, trauma or shame that has really shut them down mm. then they can't see the other until they've done some work on they their individual. Yes. Yeah. Have to do their own work. It strikes me that um, the requirement here is for, for uh, this kind of work to be done, uh, to the responsibility to be taken individually by both people. Mm. It's, it's not, it's obviously much, much harder, if perhaps not impossible, to do this work in a vacuum. I mean, in other words, the, the starting point has to be a discussion, doesn't it? I suggest, I ask, about... Um, an agreement, a willingness to enter into this kind of dialogue. Because if so you don't. That would be lovely. And the reality is, when couples come into a room at crisis, they are often are unable to discuss anything. They possibly hate mm. each other. Mm. They have no idea where their love has gone, even though they yearn it. And from that place, I think it's more important to be with where they are. So to actually acknowledge, actually, you're 80% out, 20% in right now. If they're in the room, mm. then in a way, that that is the first step to, to beginning something, isn't it? Even if it's to discover that yeah. there is perhaps interest on one side, there is not interest on another in moving forward. It is, it is. Which the, is in itself beneficial. The challenge if, is if one partner comes to please the other. Because then they're coming from a child pleasing the the opposite partner, and actually they aren't engaging in what we're describing at an adult level. And our job is is to is to gently, compassionately, um, very forthrightly at times, mm-hmm. whatever whatever feels the right way to create enough space for that person to step into the adult and realize that there is a choice that there is something else and when you're in that crisis point where you feel hatred inside for your partner it's a very scary place just as it was when you were a child when you felt hatred for your mum or your dad and yet you were des- you you depended on them so there's that piece of actually making it okay for them to feel the hate alongside the love because that's inevitable Oh, yeah, the normal hatred of marriage, I call it. You know, it's always going to be there. So I I think one strategy that I've kind of, I've become aware of in myself, because now I'm, I'm, I'm single, is that I'm finding that one strategy to avoid that dependency is not to allow myself to get too near, you know, to keep a certain distance, or at least 
be more cautious now, I think. At some level, we have to allow ourselves to fall in love or hook, it, hook in with the other and get stuck in the mess because that's actually where the, the, the closeness and intimacy comes from. So it's not about being perfect before we um, go into relationships because we can't be, we never are. We're just the best version of ourselves and showing up at that point. Mm. The start of relationships are really messy. Gosh, yes, of course they are. Yeah. Because you're you're taking a risk. Yeah. And risk brings out vulnerability. It's danger. It's risky. It's scary. It's exciting. It's, exciting. Mm. it's everything that being possibly dependent on another is going to evoke in you. And it's, you know, it's everything that's wonderful and ghastly. All It's messy. You're mm. absolutely right. But it's, it's what we are hardwired to do totally. as human beings. As we witness and we investigate and we stay curious and loving and compassionate towards our partner's story and their childhood, we build up empathy. And having empathy and compassion erodes aggression. It's a kind of, it's a balm. It's part of the repair. There's harmony there's disharmony, but there has to be repair. I mean, what, what kind of tools do you, do you have a, a, a couple of yeah. tools that you give your clients you find they're able to grasp quite easily and use and practice? One of them is, do they have a shared vision of anything? You know, two people coming together, we, we create children together, but we also create other things. And I think being able to look at what is it that you want to create together um, mm, can be beautiful. a very, and you know, you could take it to the extreme of having a word or mood board, you know, but actually just, just having a space where you talk about that, mm. where you've only been avoiding and having conflict, that can be very powerful. Mm. And another one um, that... I have started to recommend more is gratitudes with your partner. So daily, um, you know, three things that you're grateful for that day. And it gives a real insight into your partner. In the, for the grateful for in the relationship? Not necessarily. Anything. Oh, right, okay. So it gives an insight into where they are individually. In your life. In your life. It, and it, it does allow for gratitudes of the other. So you could say, I'm really grateful that you, you know, you got so much washing done today. It could be a real acknowledgement of your partner, something that means a lot, actually. Yeah, I, yeah, I get that. Or it could be, um, I'm grateful, you know, that something to do with your work or something to do with kids if you've got family. There's something very vulnerable. But we know now that gratitude's changed the way the brain works. You know, it, 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 it actually takes you into that release of oxytocin. It's... It, mm, it, mm. And so to do that together as a kind of ritual is actually, um, it, you may not always want to, and that in itself is, a, actually, I don't feel able to right now. Could you start? Um, or I really can't today. And actually, that's about that person at that point. Or you're aware in your relationship something needs to be explored. But it, it, it's... Um, there's, there's a sort of mending, again, it's this positive anchoring and mending, mending and creating some very deep intimacy and connection. So that's just something that I personally know is really powerful. Mm. So rituals 
again, I think mm. that's something that's very important mm. for couples. Yeah. I need to work on this, I know, because I, I know a couple, for example, who on the 1st of January every year, they, they spend the day looking at what happened in the last year and what they want to achieve in this year together mm. or mm. In, and, and or individually. I encourage most couples to sit down at least once or twice a year, rather like you would do if you go to work and you've got a business partner and say, how's it going? Yeah. What do you think? You know, how's that working for you? Do you want more of this? How's our sex life going? You know, do you think we're getting enough time together? So I think that area of ritualising yeah. certain parts of our relationship is incredibly healing. And it brings out a lot of, pos- as you say, a lot of positivity from an adult place. We all lead very busy lives now. And some couples and individuals, when they come to us, don't spend any time together. Mm. And it can be hard, but to make that time. And the only thing I would say in terms of if someone's listening to this and thinking, that's a million miles away, you know, reflecting on where my relationship is, talking to my partner, doing gratitudes together, that's just a million miles away from where I am. I just want to sort of reassure that it's small steps that actually you can't just leap to all of the you know um talking together and it being easy and nice actually daring just to reflect to make small changes is the starting point you know in the media there's a lot of negative examples of relationship and i think part of what we don't have is examples of grounded sustainable alive relationships and so to talk about those and to talk about what they look like and that they take practice and work Mm. is really important it's being able to recognize that what relationships mean has changed so much Mm. and our expectations of relationships have changed so much and we do need to recognize that we have to make these internal investigations we have to be aware of ourselves more in order to have stronger more adult relationships what's what strikes me is that this the reason this dialogue now is so important is because we are talking about uh the butterfly effect we are talking about the ripples of um uh, you know a human revolution an internal revolution that, that, that becomes a relational revolution, that then becomes a social revolution, becomes a global revolution. Well, we're relational beings, so yes. if it's just all about what I want and it's things and doing things, but it's alone, then it, it's missing a whole part of a deeper need that we have. By acknowledging we have relational needs, we then have to be vulnerable enough to be in relationship, and that is at the heart. Wow, that's been so interesting, Caroline. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Thanks for listening to Love Maps. We hope you've taken away something useful. If you know anyone who's struggling in their relationship, please share our podcast with them. You can find more information about the topics covered and links to therapeutic support on our website, lovemapspodcast.com.